What up, everybody? It's your boy Seven Seas, and uh, this is the No I'm Fifteen Allcast. This is uh, a new episode, a new series that we're starting. Uh, this first film is from 2007, and it's the film Zodiac. So I'm joined by Special K and Great Scott, and yeah, that ominous music, man. It's uh, definitely fitting uh, for this episode. Here we go. We doing this? That's the uh, that's the alarm. Is that the boner noise? Were you going for boy oy, 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 oy? <laughs> like from Porky's? There you go. Porky's. Two thousand seven. We are in the building. Yes, sir. We are in the building. Uh, welcome to the Noir Fifteen Allcast. I'm joined by Great Scott. Hola. And of course, Special K. What up, what up? And uh, yeah, we're back with the start of a new series. Uh, this is going to be a serial killer movie series. And uh, <clears throat> this first film is called Zodiac from the year 2007. But before we jump into that, I got to check in with everybody, see how they're doing. So uh, what's new, man? What's, what's good? Tell me what's up. I watched fucking Zodiac today, and it's three hours long, so that's all I got to do today. You saw the director's <laughs> cut. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it's, nice. uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a longer one, but uh, no, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Things are good. Cool. Nice. I would ask you how the chickens are doing, but, you know, we'll save that. Man, the chickens are being chickens. <laughs> that shit had me dying last time. Um, but yeah, we're going to jump into this movie, um, Zodiac, uh, from the year 2007, starring a couple of pretty famous actors, um, actually Robert Downey Jr., Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, we even got Anthony Edwards from Revenge of the Nerds fame. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Gotta give him a shout out. And then, uh, yeah, there's, there's a ton of actors. Is Casey there. Jones in there. Yeah. Elias Coteus. I think that's how you say his mm-hmm. name. Casey Jones. Um, you know, Donald Logue, uh, Dermot Mulroney. Uh, Wasn't Robert Loja in this one? Robert Loja. No, it was It was uh, Brian Cox, Robert Loja. Yeah. <laughs> but he, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was an interesting cast, I guess you could say. It was definitely a good cast, you know, a David Fincher film. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a fan of his films, like, you know, Fight Club or Seven, or um, he's done quite a bit of good films. Um, I think this was right in his wheelhouse. Uh, so I, I know I was excited when I heard he was directing it. So what did you guys think, like, overall, you know, before we get into, the, like, details and stuff? I hate serial killers in general. Like, okay. Like, as a topic of movies or, like, morally? Morally. Okay. A, I mean, I like the movies of them, but I don't like, you know, like, how you do your podcast. Uh-huh. I think you touched on the one that I listened to, like, I don't like how they're glorified mm-hmm. mm. in the media and such. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that you know the this type of I'm sure we'll get to it throughout the series here we're doing, but this these types of movies it is strange that they are so entertaining and they're so popular. Um, it's just it, you're talking about some of the most horrific things that one human can do to another or multiple people in these cases, and we watch mm-hmm. it as entertainment. Like we watch it on our free time because it's what like we, we enjoy it and we flock to it and it makes a bunch of money. So I don't get it. It's a weird human thing, but these are yeah. these are popular movies and they're they're entertaining. I mean, I'll admit I, I enjoy them too. Like this movie was overall I liked it. Uh, as as uh, great Scott had mentioned, it is a long one. It's maybe a little bit too long, in mm-hmm. my opinion. But it is it is good though. It's worth a watch. Right. Mm-hmm. Nice. I think the so, length of it kind of makes you realize like they were hunting this fucker for over yeah. 10 years before they even got an idea of who it was mm-hmm. well before you, you tell us until like 2004 before you give us any more details you know we need someone to give us details within 30 seconds so i didn't, I didn't forget 
All right. Just saying. We got to do the real names. <laughs> I just wanted to see what you guys thought real quick, like, you know, about the, you know, the idea of the movie overall. Like, you know, mm-hmm. serial killers, obviously, I hate their guts, but they are definitely almost risen to the level of celebrities, I think, sometimes. And it's not for a good reason. And that that's just something that, I don't know, people are fucking weird. I'll say that. They're just into mm-hmm. what they're into. Um, but I will say... Before we get into any more of that. Today, one of these lucky contestants will win right here on Wheel of Names. Okay. Shots fired. Shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I got to share the screen. Yeah. And so you guys can see the Wheel of Names. Sharing that, so we have Mr. Special K on there. Uh, we got Scott and we got myself and we got Spin Again. So, yeah, yeah, Spin Again. So, the, the torment lasts longer, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to believe it or not. But if you guys are ready, I'm gonna spin it and we'll see who's gonna do a 30 second challenge. Let's do it. All right, what happened to being deferred after you fucking participated? See? <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> That's twice in a row, Scott. Mm-hmm. All right, I promise next time I'll defer you because it's twice in a row. No, I'll do it every time. Oh, I just don't know if you want that. <laughs> yeah, I do, Last man. Time, it the... didn't go too well. <laughs> ah, it's all good. Look, man, these I never got... go well. Thirty second challenge. <laughs> yep, thirty second challenge. Good one. The first time I thought mine was really good. The very first time we did this. <laughs> Beginner's luck. <laughs> All right. So the second I hit play, the clock is going to start. So I count right. you down. You good to go? Yeah. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. T minus 30 seconds. Zodiac. California, 1969, 4th of July. Random killings. Spread a few months apart. A cartoonist solves the problem. <laughs> Through his own detective work, after 10 years of hunting the Zodiac Killer, the cartoonist figures everything out. I don't know if that's just a movie plot or if that's how shit went down. The actual suspect in the movie is typecast as a psycho and everything, so you figure out out immediately. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. I forgot what I watched this afternoon, man. (laughs) People, California, people got killed. And a cartoonist. Yep. Or you finally figured it out. You figured it out. <laughs> a cartoonist. cartoonist. <laughs> figured this shit out. Yeah. Oh, man, dude. That's funny. But anyways. Yeah, Zodiac. According to IMDb is in the late 1960s and early 1970s, a San Francisco cartoonist becomes an amateur detective obsessed with tracking down the Zodiac killer an unidentified individual who terrorizes Northern California with a killing spree. The very beginning of the movie, what did you mm-hmm. guys think was really going on? This is based on I a true story. You know, yeah, there's know actually events and stuff. So the movie itself, it like, what did you guys like think? Like for the first hour or so, it was multiple killers and some people trying to take credit for it as, a, as one person taking credit for just random shit in the news. I thought that was what was going to be the outcome. Mm. Man, why? It, was, it was unidentifiable because there were so many different actors involved, you know? Mm-hmm. My take, I guess just because maybe I've seen too many of these movies, but it was almost like uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, I believe his name was Avery. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul mm-hmm. Avery. He was like suspicious of the cartoonist in a way, and his obsession made it seem like maybe possibly he was somehow involved i was first watching it, i was like wait are they gonna try to say this cartoonist was a possible suspect in this uh, but then obviously the second half of the movie they that that falls to the wayside yeah. what's going on um, at one point didn't you think like they were gonna show like he didn't actually have kids like he was just out at the bus stop alone or some shit like the joker <laughs> uh... <laughs> for real i i had that feeling too wow yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because his, I think it was Robert Johnny Jr.'s character, his his suspicion of the cartoonist and also his like obsessiveness over it. Like he's a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. He's like obsessing over it. 
So I think that was it was like suspicious, you know, obviously. But um, that was my first direction. It was yeah, another misdirection. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I thought right off the bat, like even before getting into the rest of the film and like the first scene, I think when this kid gets picked up by, uh, you know, an older lady mm-hmm. and they go to park and, you know, when the dude comes up and parks behind them and then he takes off, mm-hmm. then I hadn't seen this movie in so long. So I was like, was it her husband? I'm trying to remember like, what what, what was going on? And then, you know, obviously what happened was, you know, the, the lady got, you know, killed and the guy that was with her got killed. Um, I can't remember the, uh, the guy that was with her survived. Yeah, he survived. You're right. You're right. He did survive. He did survive. Uh, his survived name, last ID name is Magell or something like that. Yeah. His last name and was Magellan? Majo or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mojo. Majo. Peter Lemonjello. Like <laughs> but your house was on fire. Right away, though, I, I thought that it was two different people because mm-hmm. one, one gets out and shoots and then leaves and then someone else i felt like it was someone else came and then shot too you know what i'm saying oh in the car because mm-hmm. for whatever yeah, like reason people it, on the scene i got you yeah and for whatever reason i i know just kind of doing a little research into some of the interesting facts about the film i think that was done on purpose it was filmed that way on purpose and well, well didn't they because looking in like the imdb credits and stuff there are multiple actors that played the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. And I think they did, like you said, they did it on purpose because they didn't want you to see the same person and kind of try to get an idea of who you thought it was. So they had multiple people credited as like Zodiac number one, Zodiac number two, Zodiac number three, Zodiac number four. So they used different people in each scene with the Zodiac to purposefully throw you off as to who it could be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which was, I think was that's, a- that's, which is cool. That's a, that's a great idea. It was Darlene Farron yep. and uh, Mike Majot were the two that the first couple that you saw get mm-hmm. gunned down. But I don't know why. Like right away when I this this time watching it, I was like, man, that's two different people that that did it. And again, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's part of the filming process or what the director thought because you know they did some of their own investigations into it. The way things start to unravel, then the next thing that happens is um, the couple gets stabbed at the lake. There's a letter. Uh, Zodiac. To the- yeah, he starts sending the letters, and then he. Oh, this, right, the right. Cipher. Yeah, after Did the cipher. Cipher letters like, before that there, or after the leak? Both. I thought that he copied the cipher like immediately. Right. Yeah. The cipher, the first cipher, the first letters got sent right after the 4th of July killing. And then months later was the, the lakeside killing. And the, he, he was sending letters like every, I don't know how often, how, how frequently, but he was sending mm. letters th- throughout. Um, at the cipher. What do you guys think about the whole letter thing? Do you think they should have published them or no? Yeah, because of the threats he kept making, like I'll escalate things if you don't publish them. Uh, yeah. They well, did the right thing. Like I, they I withheld mean, information. I mean, look, I, I personally, I would say no, they shouldn't have published them, uh, just because it's it was clear, especially as this went on, that it was the publishing of the letters which was fueling what he was doing mm-hmm. and even you know they, they make it they made it the point in the movie several times where you know he claims in the letters he takes credit for killing i think 37 people or something but they can mm-hmm. only definitively tie him to like four or five killings so at some point it becomes obvious that he's just reading the newspaper and taking credit for unsolved murders and so it's like his his threats are kind of empty in my mind publishing it just gives him what he wants in my opinion, uh, and having him make make threats, it's like, well, we're not responsible for the things you're going to do. Yeah, it's like a terrorist. We're not responsible. If we mm-hmm. don't publish his letter, you kill 12 people over the weekend. I mean, that's on you. It's not on us. Yeah. In my opinion, I feel like yeah. you're playing the game. I feel like if you, if you publish the letters, you're playing the game with them, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. that's what he wants. He wants the game. I think part of it is um, just the time too. So it's like 1969 and society's different back then, you know, and there is no internet. There is no, you know, cable TV. So the newspaper was still big back then, and selling papers was a big deal. So I think maybe that's part of it, part of the reason why they did it. And it's not even so much as just to get public awareness about what ha- what was happening or what was going on, but like you know, just 
to try to sell some papers. They're like, hey, man, we'll sell papers with this shit, too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was probably, you know, part of the decision. Isn't that what Paul Avery's like little psychic breakdown? When, Isn't that why that happened? Because he was in it for the headlines? Uh, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, he, because he, he kind of, he goes, because he, he makes that link for the Riverside, California one, and he pu- runs, runs with the story without even taking it to the police first. So he publicly in the paper links that first murder saying that this was the first Zodiac killing, even though they can't definitively link them. And mm-hmm. so it kind of, you know, hamstrings the investigation and in that, well, you're releasing all this information to the public that we could have used in the investigation, you know. Um, but yeah. that's but that's the classic battle between, I mean, in all these movies and documentaries about this kind of stuff, that's a classic battle between law enforcement and the media. The media the media has an obligation to report the news. Law enforcement has an obligation to investigate the crimes, but both sides are both trying to get information as fast as possible. And there's nefarious reasons on the media side. Obviously, they want to sell papers. I mean, that's how they mm-hmm. pay for their bills and buy cars and eat. So they have to sell papers. So they're going to do what they have to do to, to, to sell sell a paper. Or nowadays, it's get a click or whatever. Um, I thought those meetings made it kind of clear, like, they were professional, too. Mm-hmm. They were concerned about public safety. And, you know, it's like getting a fucking bomb threat. We got to follow up on it. Sure. Well, the one thing you... Like, they were. I feel like they portrayed the San Francisco Chronicle as being very professional about it, but at the same time, there were some people in the in the room that were like, "Well, this newspaper is running there, so we have to run mm-hmm. ours." As it goes on the front page, like, "Let's put it on the fourth page." Right. It's yeah. like we'll we'll run it, but we're not going to put it on the front page. Right. Because, you know, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. those two other papers got coded letters too. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which kind of brings in the whole Graysmith character at the Chronicle that uh jake gyllenhaal played which i think is like for the most part kind of the focus of the film i guess if it was a star in this one because kind of based on his books that ended Mm -hmm. he ended up writing and i don't think it was like um meant to be him as being portrayed out front because again doing a little research on this stuff like fincher got access to gray smith like and you know his life and everything that he went through during the investigation and stuff and trying to get clues and follow up, you know, the case files and all that stuff that uh, even the bad parts of his life, you know, are portrayed in the movie. And I guess you can kind of see that, which was, you know, mm-hmm. um, eventually you kind of see over time because this, this would, would you say it takes place over 15 years. years or so? 10 years? Uh, yeah, sure the, it was 10, right? yeah, I think because I think the last, the very end was like 1990 or or something like that, I think so. Um, that last, the very last scene in the movies at an airport, ninety four or something like that. So, oh right, really? Right. Yeah, and these Shit. these killings happened in sixty eight, sixty nine. So, yeah, that sounds twenty five wow. years. I thought that was seventy nine. No, it was like nineteen ninety one or four or something. Kind of getting you know going a little bit ahead, but the last time I think they got like a uh, letter was like in nineteen seventy three or something, and then they weren't even sure if it was from the Zodiac because they were trying to make mm. it seem like Tashi. Uh, you know, Ruffalo's detective character was the one that wrote the letter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I almost thought myself that he did because I was like, he's just trying to keep the investigation like in the public eye. Oh. So I was like, maybe, he's maybe send a letter in and shit. Stay yeah. on the case. Yeah. Cause he, he was, I mean, he was obsessed with it. I think obviously Gray Smith got obsessed with it just because of the code. And, um, you know, then you have, uh, you know, Avery was obsessed with it for a different reason. And I've heard like that was one of my questions that they said like four people's lives got ruined from this, mm-hmm. and you know in the movie, I'm not so sure. I, I I see three for sure, but I'm not sure about the fourth one. You know, like I think those three might be the ones that that their lives kind of took a, you know, a turn for the worse because they got so obsessed with it. But who are the three? Uh, Paul Avery, you know, yeah. uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Smith. Gray Smith, and then. Um, and the Tashi, Ruffalo. Yeah, Ruffalo's character. I think that Bill guy got pretty fucked up by it, dude. He was so obsessed with it, he didn't finish his BLT. No one <laughs> just walks away from a BLT. And he changed his whole life, though. Like, he left that, that's the only one I might think shit. of. Yeah, Anthony I think Edwards. Maybe that's the other one because he changed his whole lifestyle, his, well, his job, at least his whole career path. Changed. Yeah. He's, uh, Ruffalo's always asking him for Animal Crackers, the whole movie. Yeah, Animal was... Crackers. What was the, animal crackers? Was that some kind of? I don't. I don't. I don't get that. It's a sex thing in San Francisco. 
do <laughs> <laughs> it do it yeah I, mean, I don't know if that was like maybe that's like a real thing that those two like dynamic they had the detective loves animal crackers yeah. or if that was that some kind true. of like you know not something I, I don't get i didn't i didn't that part was so weird to me crackers thing I, yeah I thought that was an inside joke or something, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Well, there were actual animal crackers involved. They were in the glove box. Yeah, yeah. When right. he, throw, he throws them. That remember Blood that sugar thing, maybe. That Barnum's and whatever. Remember those animal cracker yeah. boxes? Yeah. He throws them a box. Mm-hmm. Those I remember those boxes back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Those are still good. Um, you know, there there's not. Uh, I'll say not much funny moments in this film uh, because of the content of what's happening. I will say there was one moment where I laughed though. Was uh, when Gyllenhaal walks in to the, you know, Chronicle, he's like, does it bother you that they call you shorty? <laughs> he says, does it bother you that they call you retard? You know <laughs> he goes, I shouldn't have laughed, yeah. but I was laughing. Well, then he walks right. over to uh, Robert Downey Jr. He's like, hey, people around here call me names. They're like, like retard? He's like, yeah. He goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> like he knew mm-hmm. right away. Yeah, yeah. That, that was probably the only, like, joke in the entire movie really yeah it was so like his you know Graysmith's character you kind of see how deep he gets involved in it like Mm -hmm. going through the coding and he was an eagle scout and um you know he doesn't drink doesn't do anything else like and he just gets lost in it man like he's just started seeing his life like crumble Mm -hmm. he brought his fucking kids in on that yeah dude oh my gosh yeah that was bad pretty obsessive you know, looking up lunar lunar cycles and coordinate you know coordinating them with uh, yeah mm-hmm. man the crime dates Those and little stuff. fucking kids helped solve that case for him yeah those um, cycles are what led him to the guy being at his mom's house and uh, I mean that's the part that kind of gets a little confusing though who who do you think they think it was at their mom's house at that time uh who was living in the mom's basement at the time right. It was the yeah. first one. It was uh, Darlene, the, the Fourth of July okay. one. Okay, okay. Uh, because yeah. Lee, uh, Arthur Lee, was living in his mom's basement, which was fifty yards from the restaurant Darlene was working at. Right, mm-hmm. and he wasn't a suspect because he was a suspect in the next town over at a later killing. Right, so they uh, didn't even think of him for that one. So basically, he becomes like in the movie, he he becomes like their prime suspect, and it all kind of lines up pretty neatly. I mean, they have that whole interview with him at his workplace, right? which is just so incriminating. And then, yeah, yeah man. And, and then they end up, uh, he gets eliminated as a suspect because of the handwriting sample, the handwriting, yeah. the handwriting was such a big deal, man. Back then, but, like, which I can't, I mean, I, I know that's still a thing. I mean, that's still, they still do that handwriting analysis stuff. Yeah. I can't imagine that being like, to me, that'd be so yeah. co- coincidental. That, a deciding that, factor. Yeah, that is so far from like a scientific thing, yeah. you know. And here it sounds like the fucking projector guy, the guy from the theater, wrote the notes for him. You know, I mean, the fact that they knew each other well enough, I think. Probably part of or, a pedophile, man. Like kiss the girls. I don't know. What was? Like what was that? What was Lee? I don't see. But here's. I don't think Lee was him. I don't think Lee was actually associated with that at all. I think Lee was using that Rick name as an alias and working at the theater. I thought Rick was just a totally different suspect. I think. I think Rick was Lee in that town. People knew him as Rick. Really? Something you got to watch. That's one. The Rick Marshall. The Rick Marshall guy. Get all fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Did they ever show Rick Marshall? They don't. They don't. Yeah. So that's that's that actually kind of makes sense because the um when they do that invest not the invest the interview at his job and he talks about the most dangerous game which was a film back then that you know he was a big fan of, um which was hunting people. That's the one with Gary Busey and Ice T. That's a remake of it. I know. Yeah, are they talking about are they talking about the pest with (laughs) that's a a parody of it, (laughs) dude? I I watched that Ice T one, dude. It's still good. It's a good movie Mm -hmm. because even when he mentioned the most dangerous game in the first letter that was deciphered, Mm -hmm. they didn't figure it out until possibly ten years later, Mm -hmm. five years later, when the cartoonist picks up the case on his own to write the book. 
No, but he says it at the interview too. He's like, "You're here because of the dangerous game," or he says something like that, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's like, "I was about dangerous game." Because he mm-hmm. told somebody he liked that, whatever. Well, mm-hmm. just according to Wikipedia, Richard Marshall was a separate suspect. He was a separate person. Oh. Um, he did live in Riverside and San Francisco at the time of those murders, close to the scenes of the murders. He was a silent film enthusiast and projectionist. Um, but the, the detective Ken Narlow, who I believe was, uh, he was a dete- he was one of the guys in the movie. Uh, in real life, his quote was, Marshall makes good reading, but is not a very good suspect in his estimation. Yeah, so, that was uh, Donald Logue's uh, character. Yes. So, yeah, so Richard Marshall was a separate guy. So he, that was just like a, I don't know, I would say it's a false trail or like a, a dead end kind of trail that they ran on. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, spoiler alert, this crime has never been solved. I mean, there is, okay, so there is a scene uh, when Grace Smith goes to the projectionist's house mm-hmm. and they're in the basement, mm-hmm. right? And he's he's going through the record book. He's like, oh yeah, someone, the report or whatever. He was looking at the report when the last time the movie was shown at that theater. Mm-hmm. And there's like a moment when you see the boards move above him. Did you guys see that or no? In the house, and he looks up like someone's here, someone else is here. Well, because he asks, "Is anybody yeah. in the house?" The guy refuses to answer at first, and then he goes, "Well, you can go look if you want." So yeah, and again. That, that's why I don't know if they're doing that on purpose or that was factual from, you know, the account of Graysmith. They want you to think there's two people that are doing this. Who's see, but I, read them books? See, but I wonder if that was them trying to show like the paranoia because mm. in my mind, in, in, in the book, in uh, I mean, definitely in this movie, which is based on Graysmith's book. They believe that Arthur Lee is a suspect. They think Arthur Lee is a Zodiac. Right. And that is that is their theory for the movie. That is the theory mm-hmm. in his book. So in my mm-hmm. mind, the way I took that whole sequence with the projectionist and everything was like, it was showing you how obsessed he was getting and how paranoid he was getting that like that situation was, again, it was creepy. I think it was the creepiest part in the whole movie, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it goes to show like, because he's so invested in it, he's so obsessed with it that he's like seeing signs everywhere now so now he's like because there's somebody else in the house and you know, so i don't think that that interaction was probably as weird as it really was it just seemed like it was from his perspective because everybody's a suspect or he's, he's on the suspect trail here or something you know yeah so i don't so I, I so i don't know i don't know if there really was a single person in the house i think they might have just been him like imagining things and him getting himself freaked out because mm-hmm. yeah. why wouldn't they have killed him like why wouldn't they have just killed him right there in the house yeah. Nobody. Yes, nobody even. Knows, no, nobody knew they were there. You guys hear that? Yeah, I heard that. What? Heard Did the door right. open? <laughs> yeah, I heard floor. I saw floorboards creaking. <laughs> that was a floorboard creaking. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on, let me look behind me right now. Yeah. So uh, they. No, and I, and I think to it, like you know, they did. I think they did a great job showing the progression of. I mean, it, was, it was a long move, but they showed the progression of how like these characters they get more and more invested and more and more obsessed mm-hmm. to the point where like um, Graysmith goes and he he meets with that victim's sister in jail and he like mm-hmm. flips out because she won't say Rick the name. is Rick the Ross. name, yeah. you know, and she ends up giving him the name that he probably, you know, of, of Lee, who mm-hmm. that, that's what he ran with at the end. But I mean, so he like flips out and is going to storm out of the interview because she yeah. won't say the name Rick, you know? Yeah. At some point I got to mention, what was his name? Paul. Paul Avery. Paul Avery. Paul Avery is so paranoid he doesn't want to go home. So he drinks so much that he passes out in his car. Yeah. It's that's like right. how fucking safe is that? Mm-hmm. You're sleeping on the well, streets in your car. That was after he got a pistol. letter, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't he get a letter from the yeah, Zodiac? After the like, threat. Yeah. He got he got a Halloween because yeah, he, he insulted him in the, the Chronicle. Called him a latent homosexual. Called him latent like homo, that. and they proved that shit. That's the most incriminating evidence is in that trailer with the squirrels. That fucker was weird. Oh, there was some weird stuff going on in the house full of squirrels. Well, then they had that that old timey vibrator. Yeah, the old timey sex toy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. He just left it laying out there. He was a creep, man. He he lost his job. That shit from watching that dildo. He saw that dildo and he fucking transferred (laughs) out of homicide. Yeah, so, man, I'm going to I'm going to the fraud unit, man. I can't handle this shit. No, I'm, I'm, going, going, uh-huh. I'm going to fraud. You take the yeah. car home. Yo, he's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's true, man. It, he, I mean, he got a uh, child molested, 
cases against him, right? He ended up getting arrested for yeah. that later. But, I mean, he got yeah. fired from the school he was working at because of that, I think. You know, when I, and another thing that kind of struck me weird was the guy that was so uh, open about talking about the guy. Like, the guy that used to work with him that they interviewed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who said that, like, a year yeah. before he told him the whole the whole idea about the Zodiac and everything. And uh, it just seems odd mm. in a Kyle, way. Kyle, did mean, you think that guy was also full of shit and that was more misdirection like the friend well i mean the thing with this movie is i don't know if you guys are like are familiar with the actual investigation of the zodiac investigation prior to watching the movie but they did try their hardest to be as accurate as possible yeah um it it was very important i guess and doing the research this movie is very important to david fincher that they do this correctly and so all all that stuff is to my understanding is accurate so I don't think that it was put in there as purposeful misdirection in the movie. I just think it shows how complicated the investigation was because, you know, you have people that are coming out and they're giving you information, but then there's some people who went to the cops and gave them information like years ago before it actually gets followed up on. Cause I mean, Mm. like they they make a point of saying like there's, they had 2,300 suspects at one point, you know, they're getting 90 calls a minute or something like that of leads and possible things they had to follow up on. So I think it just goes to show how complicated it was especially at that time. Mm. Can you imagine having to like early on in the, when they're showing the coordination between the three departments and you got to call this person to get this. And yeah, I, want these, yeah. I mean, we'll mail a, it to you. Yeah. Well, yeah. What a Telefax. fucking nightmare. Yeah. I will mail it to you. I'll put it in the mail. I'll put these crime scene photos in the mail for you. <laughs> he, said, he said, we'll telefax it to you. He's like, we don't have a telefax. <laughs> like, oh shit. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually a wonder that like anything got solved back then. If you think about it, like it's Dude. fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. That, that is another thought that crossed my mind watching this film. The difficulty it must have been for law enforcement back in the day to solve crimes of that nature, mm-hmm. which is why I think that show. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that show called Mind Hunters. I think it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on the the FBI. You know, it's based on a book of you know how they yeah. came up with the term serial killer and how they started to do you know piece that together. Because I just think about like the '60s and '70s, dude, and like probably up into the mid '80s, how difficult it was probably for yeah. anyone to solve those kind of cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you without know, building sex like, profiles and all that bullshit. And without, yeah, and without the tools that they have now, with like DNA mm-hmm. and collecting evidence and getting the turnaround time of probably gathering that information uh, is way yeah, different. Mindhunters is a good reference like in relation to this movie because it did start around this time where it was low tech. People didn't mm-hmm. have telefax and... Uh, you know, like different than say Clarice. They made that show Clarice about yeah. Silence of the Lambs after the fact, or just Silence of the Lambs in general. She's a profiler, right? Yeah. They don't mention any shit like that in this movie, correct? No. Like, even I mean, when he calls into the TV show, you're left to assume that this is a fucking schizoid on the other end of the phone. He's fucking screaming from like schizophrenic breaks. Yeah, but didn't they determine right. that that wasn't actually him though? That was a uh, yeah. Right. The call, the call came from uh, a psych ward. So yeah, they didn't. Which could you guys imagine, like in real life today? Could you imagine them airing a call on live television with a suspected serial killer? Man, that that was such a thing from back in the day. Like no fucking way that happens now. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. caller ID, satellites, shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. they'll pinpoint GPS. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can't even imagine them like anybody be like, yeah, we're gonna put this on live TV. Because like, who knows what he's gonna say? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a delay. I'm sure they have like a a kill switch something like that. I'm sure there was some Man. kind of delay to it, but yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine them being like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Um, yeah. And they I, did it. Well, the, the closest thing I can think of of that happening, like in, in recent memory, and he didn't even call in. I don't know if you guys remember, I'm sure you guys do. You know, tech shooting, uh, that kid who shot the Virginia tech and he mailed like a bunch of manifestos to different news yeah. outlets. They started publishing yeah. like what the manifesto said. I mean, they didn't publish it in its entirety, but they did. I, mm-hmm. At the time, I remember being like, "It's crazy that they're actually like publishing, putting this guy's words out there," um, because that's what he wanted, obviously. So, but I, today, in 2021, I, I can't. There's no way. They, I'm sure they would love to. Man, I bet they would love to do it. CNN and them and Fox was all of them. Everybody, they'd be like, "Please, mm-hmm. please, please, let us air this. This is going to get so many clicks." But there's just no way. Mm-hmm. That's why. All the mass shootings take place these days because it's it's unavoidable. Like it has to be aired. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's like instant gratification. Everyone will know them for fifteen fucking minutes. 
Well, isn't that why they have the push now where they don't like to announce, like they don't, some, some news agencies, outlets, they won't publish the suspects' names. Like they won't publish them because they don't want them to get the notoriety. Yeah, yeah. they definitely shouldn't immediately yeah. for the same reasons you mentioned earlier. That's a good mm-hmm. point. So do you think part of this or the majority of this, like the Zodiac Killer, is it because he just wants that notoriety? He just wants attention and he enjoys torturing people or killing people? What do you guys think? Well, I think that, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but sure you are. <laughs> I, I just play one on this podcast, but mm-hmm. I, th- I think that for anybody to do this, like this kind of thing, you, you have to be mentally ill. You have to, you have to have profound mental illness uh, in order to engage in this kind of behavior. Now there is some, I think there's some, uh, some ego involved. There's some desire to be famous or whatever. There's, I mean, obviously, because he's writing, the, he's writing to the media, he's writing to the paper. I mean, he's writing more letters mm-hmm. and he's killing people. So, obviously, he, he's enjoying, he's getting something out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But to go to that level, to get to that point, you you have to be experiencing some some substantial level of of severe mental illness. Uh, so, again, that doesn't excuse the behavior, obviously, but I think that I think it's two driving factors. One of which they were probably in control of more than the other. Uh, it's just unfortunate that you know, people don't get help early enough then it kind of devolves into these situations probably where you kind of cross a point of no return where you start doing, I mean, just wild shit like this, you know? Yeah. I think in one, one part of me says that there is a person that just wants attention and is using crimes to get that attention, even if they're not the one committing it. Then, then there's another part of me that says there's someone that thinks they're a lot smarter than everyone else and they can get away with everything and they do it just for that reason. And obviously like if you're, if you're capable of murdering someone else or killing anything else uh, out of malevolence, not just for, you know, people kill stuff cause it's part of their li- life, you know, survival is different, mm-hmm. but you know, like this, there's something wrong with you obviously and definitely need mm-hmm. help. But I, I feel like there's those two schools of thought that that might be possible with with this case in particular with this film in particular you know like you see the effect it has on the people that get obsessed with it and you see all the evidence and the way they portray different killers portray the character throughout the film kind of screws you up in a way yeah. which i i think it, and that might have been show, a purpose it is all misleading because they don't show like obviously he did his first killing he got away with it but no one knew about it Mm-hmm. He's stalking this lady from the restaurant. He decides to kill her and he wants to get caught. That's usually the case, right? Mm-hmm. When they start craving the attention like this, it's eventually they want to be caught. That's how That's I always say, understood yeah. it. So from there, how much killing does he really do after the letters start coming in? He does another, the lakeside one, and then what is there? The taxi, and the taxi, taxi. And the taxi yeah. cab, because of the shit on the TV, almost made you think like, Maybe that one wasn't even his until later down the road. They say, oh, that looks just like Lee. Mm-hmm. And then all the shit about him getting locked up and the letters stopping. And that yeah. kind of proved it to me as far as Kyle's saying they were so, they put forth so much effort to make sure that it was authentic mm-hmm. to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. That pretty much sold me on their outcome. So yeah. I think he wanted, he wanted to get caught, but he was arrested before he could do anything really extreme aside mm. from the, the brutal killing that he's doing. <laughs> aside, you know what I mean? aside from the murders and the letters. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck would he have done? Because it's going to keep escalating, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that was his threat. I always right? say he's changing the pattern and all these shot the cabbie. Yeah. His, I mean, yeah, his, threat, always, his, his threat was, I was going yeah. to blow up, I'm going to blow this up. Or, you know, his first threat was, I'm going to shoot, shoot a school bus and now I'm going to yeah. blow something up. And he sends a picture of a bomb or something. I was going to make mm-hmm. a bomb. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's got to increase the stakes. That's why he threatens, if you don't publish this, I'm going to go on a killing spree. I'm going to kill 12 people this weekend. So publish this or I'm going to do it. You know? So I think that was actually his first, like his first threat in the the letters. So yeah, I mean, he's got, he's got to ramp it up to keep attention on him. Cause like the, like what's his name's point. Um, uh, I can't remember the guy's, the detective's name, Mark Ruffalo's character. Um, Tashi, Detective Tashi. Yeah. Detective Tashi. You know, he says at the end, when he's talking to uh, the cartoonist, you know, he's saying like, you know, how, how many people die on the commute? into the Bay area every day compared to what this guy killed over 10 years. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, so you got to look at it in that perspective. And I think we, as people, like, that's what I've said this before. We're talking about the first episode of other podcasts. Like, 
it is it is crazy to think that one person can be responsible for like up to five deaths. When you think about it, though, there's far more murders. Like I think he says there were two, like there are two hundred murders. Two hundred last San Francisco. year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. the this guy is yeah for one person to do this kind of damage is a lot, but he's not even doing a drop of what they are dealing with, you know. Um, yeah. So it's kind of it, it kind of gets like in our minds it gets like over the threat becomes exaggerated, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Sensationalized. It becomes exactly. And I think that yeah. it, I think that's part of human nature. You're just gonna be on the lookout, but also I mean I think <clears> the media <throat> does drive that. The media does like to get people worked up. That's what's gonna get you to buy the newspapers or you know, whatever. Um so I mean there's obviously some money to be made in panic and fear. Uh, so I think that is a little insidious on the media's part in some of these situations. But yeah. So it's a balancing act, though, because they do have a duty. They do have a responsibility to let people know what's going on. I mean, if you had a loved one that got murdered in a car and you find out, yeah, this has happened like ten times in the last two years, you'd be like, well, why the fuck didn't I hear about this? You know, you know she, they wouldn't have been in the car, you know, if it was yeah. happening. But at the same time, ten people die and they get stabbed and go whatever and get shot in a car or whatever in the last two years or whatever it was, then how many people get robbed or mugged or hit by cars or drunk drivers or whatever, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So was there an, in, in this film, was there like a aha moment for you guys? Like, did you have a moment like, oh, like when you were watching it that made you think some like definitively? The uh, interview, the interview with uh, Arthur Lee at his at his workplace because his answers were so suspicious. And then the watch, the Zodiac watch. I mean, what are the chances? I mean, what are the what are and the chances? He just, he just gives them the dangerous game reference thing, like they didn't even ask for that shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I think yeah, that was like a this is their guy, like that was the this is their guy moment mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. What about but you, pro- Scott? It was the squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> too fucking weird. Everything <laughs> about his house was too weird. He had little tight ass shorts on when he was brought in. Oh, but yeah. when he came home in there, they're coming out of his house and he's got them little shorts on and I knew it was him. So look at those fucking shorts. His house was too weird. What about you? What was your... Uh, aside. The girl that he saw at the prison? The the sister of Darlene? Oh, the sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Linda like, or something. Or something was. Yeah, and then she just... He just... That moment right there was kind of big, I think. Because, mm-hmm. like, you were right. He was, he was getting a breakdown. He was breaking down at that moment. Like, Grace was like, man, no, it had to be this guy. You sure? No, it had to be Rick. It had to be Rick. And then when he was going to leave and she says his name was Lee. And I was like, that's it, man. Like, there's nothing else after that, that it has to be that guy. That That's just how I felt at that moment. Like, I was like, dude, it has to be like, you know, yeah. it had to be him. And the vicinity of his mom's house to the diner was a big one for me as well. Yeah. And how she described how he was at the party, like the painting party. Uh, they, I never I've never been to a painting party, but it sounds like it was a hoot in 1970. <laughs> 1969 i don't know uh you just have drinks and they paint your house for you (laughs) but uh yeah then they said he sat there the whole night and didn't say a word to anyone Mm -hmm. and he was the only one dressed in a suit or something like that Mm -hmm. so that was weird it was kind of uh you know trigger i think yeah i mean it just goes to show that he was not really socially you know, apt. You know, he just didn't really know what he was doing socially. He's kind of an outcast and outsider. Mm-hmm. Awkward. 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 Well, that, we that talk- guy always plays the killer. Sorry to interrupt, but he's always the killer. Always. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of times he's got that kind of that brooding, you know, mm-hmm. big big guy, brooding guy. I I remember him. I actually I I like him a lot. I mean, let me what's his name? I gotta look up his name up quick. I, I had he it. He was early. in um the movie Bubble Boy and with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, John John Carroll Lynch is his name. He's been in a lot of stuff over the years. Yes. What I remember him from, the earliest thing I remember from is from the Drew Carey show. Do you guys remember him on the Drew Carey show? Oh, man. Yeah, I remember the play. He was Drew Carey's brother in the Drew Carey show. Mm -hmm. Oh. That's what I remember. <laughs> that's what I remember him from the most. Like, not the most, but that's wow. what I remember from like the earliest, my earliest memory of this guy. Did he fucking like kill anybody on Drew Carey? <laughs> no. 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 It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a sitcom. I know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was. Uh, yeah, I think he did a good job playing the part. He's a great character actor, man. He is. Yeah. 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 
So, so we talked about a little bit like what the what we thought our, the killer's motivations would have been, like in the movie, obviously as it portrayed and in real life. What were what were some of the investigators' motivations? Now, obviously, you can say the police, like that's their job, right? So, mm-hmm. Detective Tashi, I mean, he had a job to do. He's a he's a detective inspector. I think they call it in San Francisco. So, I, mm-hmm. obviously, you understand his 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 motivation. But what do you think? Like, what what was Graith Smith's motivation? I think it was just same thing, man. Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts, yeah, I, I think yeah, he like he's self and he felt a duty. Like I, I think part of it is uh, he felt, and it's odd to say, but this is like what could have been almost because he, Graysmith himself is an odd duckling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He is, you know, he's definitely an introvert. If you see him, you know, he doesn't know how to approach people. He he seems a little odd, even though he's just honestly probably a good person doesn't have any vices um other than puzzles that he obsesses over i think this for him for me i think his motivation was probably thinking that he could be better than the person that was trying to do these things like he could figure it out like beat him in a game yeah i think that's what it was so you think it was like a like an ego thing i think part of it yeah definitely trying to prove to someone else that you're not really that much better than i am or i figured out your little game as far as Graysmith goes in the film and yeah like you said tashi is an inspector so part of that is his job and part of it is you see how he reacts when they say lee's not the guy mm-hmm. and he loses it too and uh his you know his commander comes out and hey you know take some time off man forget it and <clears throat> later you see tashi at the theater and they're watching uh, i think it's dirty harry they're watching mm-hmm. or something yep and um Grace Smith is at the theater too with his wife or his girlfriend. They're they're watching the movie too, and he's basically seeing like a, you know, kind of a little bit of Zodiac inspiration in the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, he's like, don't worry, you're gonna catch him after the movie. He's like, how? They're already making movies about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like he's pissed. He's pissed uh-huh. off. So he just feels like uh, I think his motivation is like this is a perp that's trying to get the better of me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I gotta I gotta solve this shit. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cat and mouse with between the, the cops and him, obviously. Yeah, the car, uh, Graysmith, I, it, I wasn't like a journalistic integrity thing because he was a cartoonist and he wasn't really a mm-hmm. journalist. Um, I think you're, I think you're right. I th- you know, I was like, maybe he's just, a, he's just a good guy. He wants to see justice for the victims and he wants to mm-hmm. solve it. I think at one point in the movie they ask him like, "Why are you doing this?" And he says, "Because nobody else is," which is mm-hmm. like altruistic, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but I think. For him to have sacrificed what he did, he, he becomes so obsessed with it. I mean, he gets a divorce. I mean, he loses his his family essentially. Yeah, man. Um, you know, so I mean, it had a high cost. So I think it, to to lose that much, I think there's got to be some like personal ego driving some yeah. of that. You know? Yeah, I think you guys are overlooking the fact that he was in the Eagle Scouts. That's like <laughs> that's his whole his, childhood, dude. Trying to get his uh, murder investigation merit badge. <laughs> <laughs> the murder badge. The murder <laughs> badge. I think that has a lot to do with what Kyle's saying, but a good person and you know. Well, I think but you don't think it has a lot to do with it. a lot more than you guys are giving me credit for. I think that has like, a lot to do with it. Like how? So like how how does it being an Eagle Scout makes you what? Like it, it they teach you morals makes, and shit like that, Caesar. So you have to <laughs> I I understand that, but I mean like it in this particular case, is it it's to what extent do you take that? That's how his character was built as a child, and it shows as an adult that's where the altruistic motivations are rooted. I get what you're saying. Like, he shows it. You call the motherfucker and he'll tell you exactly that's why I did it. <laughs> hey, but yeah. I mean, at some point, like, so like I was saying, and hang up the phone on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, at some point, you get you gotta like drop it though, right? If you're not drop what all the sacrifices he made of his personal family life and everything suffered because of that. So do you yeah, think I know that was? To it. I'm just saying that's where the altruism comes from from his mm-hmm. childhood. That shit's like you know. That's a commitment to stay in it that long. Man, it, does, it does mold your character. Dude. It's like playing a sport your whole life. And, and don't didn't you guys get the kind of the impression he was bored being a cartoonist? Did you guys get that impression? Yeah. I he, he didn't. He didn't yeah. seem like he was in love with it. He kind of did it, but there was a, like, hey, the, you got a deadline, and then he shows his boss like at the very beginning, and they're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like he's like this one sucks, this one sucks, this one kind of sucks. We'll go with the kind of yeah. sucks one or whatever, you know. So he yeah. seemed like he just was kind of bored doing what he was doing. It would because I mean, doing it as a job that's going to drain creativity out of it. 
Yeah, it was a political. He was a political cartoonist too. So mm-hmm. I think it was like morbid, morbid, not so morbid. Let's go with the not so morbid one or something mm-hmm. like that. What about Paul Avery? Like, what was, like his motivation was just to get a big story and get get his name out there, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. I think part of it was his was 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 an, again, an ego thing. I think he wanted to be the guy, but also I mean he was a journalist, so I'm sure he had journalistic integrity to some degree where he wanted to fulfill his duties as a journalist and report on the facts and the news and get it out there to the people. Uh, but I think, you know, when he starts like, you know, right before his like turn, his fall from grace or whatever you want to call it. I mean, he yeah. goes and runs that story without clearing it with law enforcement at all. He just kind of gets, takes it and runs with it. Um, yeah. Basically he got the blessing of the Riverside cops that he got the information from, but the ones that are doing the Zodiac investigation, he kind of hoodwinked them in a way when it went around the back and did it. Yeah. After all that shit, he wrote into like the state prosecutor's office or whatever. Oh right, I forget the title. Oh yeah, he wanted to be the head of the task force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Insisting yeah, yeah. that he be made head of the task force, he fucking lost it there, and then yeah. he quit his job right after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. because he said he knew all like every facet of the investigation, all the details of all the cases. Mm-hmm. He looked through though at that point. I mean, he looked yeah. sick, like. Like he was drinking, doing yay. Uh, <laughs> he was. Yeah. I found that all that funny. I thought that was funny. I mean, oh, that's another thing. Like life, but it's a real person. You realize this is like a real story. This is based on actual people. Do you guys consider, you know, like these are real people? Their lives were destroyed. Yeah. Like I said, I was fucking laughing at that. Him thinking he's hot shit. And he's gonna take over the, the state investigation. And <laughs> I mean, it was Robert Downey Jr. Man. He was, yeah, he he was out of it, dude. He was. I mean. That's what I was like thinking, like um, like the social commentary of that that era, like it was late sixties, early seventies, a lot of like you know, peace and love, and you know doing drugs out in the streets, and then at the same time you kind of have what's happening in Vietnam. I mean, and they, you kind of hear that little uh, you know break. I think when they four years pass, they use the music to and the sounds to try to tell you what's happened across that time. Um, yeah. So it definitely, I think there's even parts when they're they're asking people on the streets about the zodiac, and uh, so you hear a sound bite like they're saying, "Oh, it's okay. they're just killing," you know, these uh, young hippies. teens and yeah. hippies and stuff like that, and they're like, and then you hear someone else saying, "No, they're they're young, beautiful people. You know, they shouldn't be, you know, getting killed like that or something like that." Mm-hmm. Um, but there was obviously something you know happening at that time as well that's relevant, you know. So like is is was that any motivation to the killer? Like, did he hate hippies because he was killing young people? I, I just think it was a turbulent time. I think that you have a lot of different things that happened during this time period. You have, I mean, uh, this is this is not this is around the same time period as the Manson family was operating in California. You had the Son of Sam in New York, Night Stalker in southern los angeles i mean this is all these are all roughly in the same time period you know what i mean so i, I think you mm-hmm. just had turmoil and turbulence the world was so everything was so unsure it was a free-for-all in a lot of ways it's just a free-for-all and so i think you had people that were unstable that are mentally ill i think they were just wiling out they were just lashing out you know i, I they, they had they saw the opportunity to express themselves they saw other people expressing themselves and then just gave them out of the courage or the opportunity to to I don't know, let the freak flag fly, I guess. I don't know. That's another thought I had. I like, could this have been someone that was in Vietnam and came back and was just messed up from being over there? Yeah, could have been. For sure could have been. And I think that was one of the their theories because uh, one of the, uh, the, the boots, the footprint, are like a military-type boot that you can only get from a military um, store, like MDX, which is an on-base store. So that their theory was they, they'd have to be a military member or a previous military member to buy those boots. Now you could probably get those from an Army Navy surplus store as well, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, they were like special boots that you use to for airplane mechanics to walk on airplane parts, yeah. like wings. That and the coding, yeah, the code talking shit. Exactly they mentioned as another mm-hmm. reference, which yeah. they did. Yeah, you know, we found those books had all been stolen nearby. That's an you know, these are all theories, obviously, because, you know, nothing's concrete. No one's been caught or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously from the books that this movie is based on, you know, Arthur Lee Allen is the primary suspect, like who I would think was the Zodiac from seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but if mm-hmm. like we didn't have that, yeah, I, I, that would be my guess. 
based on the arrow that it was happening was, you know, it could be easily someone that was at Vietnam fighting for the country and came back and saw people having fun on the streets and just rubbed them the wrong way. And they decided mm-hmm. to do something about it because mm-hmm. they felt uh, it was wrong. So, well, I mean, you got to think too, like again, speaking back to that time period, I mean, Vietnam veterans, yeah. they didn't come home to ticker tape parades. They came home to protests yeah. and people calling them baby killers and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of disdain. I mean, it was like the first major military operation in American history where this, when the soldiers were coming home, they were not greeted with open arms. Um, you know, there, there, some people who did, obviously there wasn't everybody, yeah. some people did support them and, and whatever, but there were a lot of people, there was a huge counterculture movement that was very anti-military and what's unfortunate is some of these guys, a lot of the, most of them were drafted. They didn't even ask to go. Yeah. They're forced to go by law. They had to go. <clears throat> so they're forced to go fight in this war. They don't want to go to that people around them don't want them to be at. Then they come home and it's like, okay, you've witnessed or committed atrocities, on somebody else you've maybe killed people or whatever now you're coming home to people who don't like you and aren't supportive of you i mean mm-hmm. couple that yeah. with a mental illness and you got a recipe for disaster then you get rambo in oregon killing people in a small that's right. town and that's how you end up with rambo yeah. <laughs> but yeah man i mean other than that like do you guys have any other theories that maybe you know aside from what you see you saw in the film you know everybody pretty much lee allen uh, Arthur Lee Allen is probably the guy, but if it wasn't, what would you think? I don't know. They got uh, the New York Times back in December of 2020, decoded like one of the last messages that he had left. Mm-hmm. They didn't print it in the article, like word for word, but all these years they've been waiting to decode this shit, and all it says is like, I hope you're having fun chasing me, decoding my letters. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber. It's like it was the response to that shit with the crazy calling into the TV show. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it took them 40 years to break that code. Mm-hmm. Jeez. 50 years. So who fucking knows? He's probably dead by now. If not, he's easily 75 fucking years old. Yeah, I, th- I think all the main suspects, because there are a lot of them. You know, Obviously, mm-hmm. Lee was the um primary suspect i think most investigators they believe that he was the guy as they said at the end of the movie uh in a title card or whatever he did die he did have a heart attack before they could uh right interview him which is uh, you know obviously i guess how these things go um but i mean just if you look at wikipedia for example there are there's got to be at least 20 names here of people who were looked at as uh you know suspects, suspects. there's a lot of people that have the same like you know, in the movie, they make the point where, you know, he, this guy went to jail and then the letter stopped when he got out, the last letter came out or whatever. But there are other people who are suspects that like it coincides with their military service and them being out of the country and then them coming back and where they were living at the time. I and mean, there's a lot of coincidences. There's a lot of people who could mm-hmm. have possibly been a suspect, could have possibly done it. Um, and I think one of the more damning things that like in the movie shows you know, the DNA evidence uh, on the letter, which I guess was on the, actually in researching this. It turns out yeah. that was on the back of a stamp, um, right? And it wasn't him. It wasn't Lee, right? And then they say something like, uh, "But he used to let other people lick his stamps, or something like that." Something like, like that. Yeah. That's that's kind of far fetched, I think. Because he didn't like the taste of paste, but he'll put a fucking rod up his ass. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and eat squirrel or whatever, right? Because didn't he have squirrels in his yeah. freezer too? A ton he of squirrels in the yeah. freezer. Yeah, running around. Yeah, odd cat man. So I, I mean, I, I like the idea, like that maybe there was more than one killer, hmm. and like the seasonal, like the equinox shit. You know, there could have been different dudes act, active at different times. Like it's a fucking network because he's only responsible for so many of these thirty some possible killings. And then you got that projectionist who drew the poster. I was left thinking he wrote the letters. I don't know why I'm stuck on that. Mm-hmm. I've never read much into it, but I thought for sure, like it's a group of people, at least a couple people planning these things mm-hmm. and doing the code writing and the letters and all that shit. Who's to say it couldn't be multiple killers? Yeah. I mean, uh, initially, like if you never, if you follow none of this and you watch this movie, I mean, I picked that up as far as just a, a person who watches a lot of movies. I felt like at the beginning, for some reason, on purpose, they made it seem like two different people shot into the car. Mm-hmm. So 
like it's almost like initiation type thing. Hey, I'm going to shoot them and then you're going to come and shoot them too because we're doing this together. So right. I could see that, you know, like two people that are in cahoots about killing, I mean, a bunch of people and, and serial killers. I mean, it's, would you guys recommend this? Quite a uh, mystery. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're in these kind of movies, if you're in like kind of true crime stuff, you might enjoy it. I mean, it is, again, it's a movie. They did take some, you know, liberties with storytelling um, to progress the plot or progress the storyline. But mm-hmm. overall, I mean, they, they did make an, a, a concerted effort to make this as accurate as they could get it. Uh, and they were also very respectful. I, one thing I had read was that, you know, David Fincher didn't want to use, he didn't want to portray any of the deaths on mm-hmm. screen that yep. somebody didn't survive because he wanted to make an accurate telling of how that shooting occurred. So the mm-hmm. way that he portrays them in the movie is the way that the survivor said they went down. You know, so they were accurate to what the survivor had given statements to the police about. So, mm-hmm. which I think that, the, that as from a filmmaker's perspective, that's awesome. I mean, that's great. I think that's a really, really good thing for him to do. It shows a lot mm-hmm. of respect because it's easy to take these kind of stories and sensationalize them even further with things to just make the plot more exciting. So to have a director here that has decided to make that choice that he wanted to be faithful to the true story, because the true story yeah. is compelling enough. I mean, this mm-hmm. you don't need to dress this up. It's already gruesome and horrific and tragic and i, I would recommend it it's, it's not my favorite you know crime thriller movie but mm-hmm. it, it was good um you know i think that I, I mentioned you guys earlier i think mark ruffalo he did a good job i don't know what was up with his accent early in the movie he had like this weird kind of a higher pitch accent but then towards the last half he kind of lost it and i don't know if that was part of showing like his character like getting run down and tired like at the mm-hmm. beginning, like he has the this weird accent. I, I try to understand. Jake Gyllenhaal did a good job playing a weird guy. I don't know if you ever seen a movie Nightcrawler, but yeah. he kind of like plays oh like gosh. A, even weirder guy, yeah. but kind of in the same yeah. vein, um, like a bad weird guy. This is like a good weird guy. Yeah. Um, Robert Downey Jr. I like. Listen, I'm just gonna preface this. I like him. I think he's a good actor. Okay, but this was Robert Downey Jr. playing Robert Downey Jr. playing Paul Avery. To me, yeah. Tony Starkish. It was too Robert Downey Jr. ish. This is pre, me. like, right the I'm next year he made Iron Man. Playing a dude, yeah. Playing <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it like, was, it was. He was a little. Uh, he, every actor does has their thing. They're quick talking and their their little mm-hmm. their little styles and all that stuff. I mean, um, and it was just, it, it was good, but it was, it was him. You know, it wasn't anything gotcha. different. You know, so I guess I would have liked. His character done differently, I guess. And I know he's capable of doing it. Robert Downey Jr. is a tremendous actor. Um, I just, I don't know. Maybe he had Tony Stark in his head, and he just couldn't get it. Couldn't get Iron Man out of his head. And just he wasn't Tony Stark yet, bro. He was. Yeah. He was the next year. He became Tony Stark. Yeah, but so. come on, you know he was. Oh. You know those, <laughs> those wheels were turning. You know that that ink had dried on that paperwork. That check, that first check, had definitely come. <laughs> Uh-huh. It was a that was so a paramount check. Back then. You wanted him to do British Robert Downey Jr. because I don't know, <laughs> I've seen any other mode out of him. I think that uh, that does it for Zodiac, yo. How many uh, how many horoscopes are you gonna give this out of four? How many horoscopes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like because it's a zodiac symbol. Zodiac. Man, I don't horoscopes. even know what they are. I don't believe in that stuff. He's an Aries, man. I'm just kidding. No, oh, I would God. say as far as true crime stuff goes, it, it's really well made. I'd say four. All right, nice. It is long, that's for sure. Or whatever the fucks. I'll give it three. I'll give it a three uh, horoscopes. I'll give it three point three point one. Uh, I'm doing points. Thought, I'm doing tens. Tens, tens of a like tens. 5. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do tens. Three point one. All right, that works. In the immortal words of uh, Robert Downey Jr., we'll say. Uh, Leave me alone. Get out. <laughs> he, he, I think that's what he said when he told him to get out of his boathouse or some shit. I can't remember. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for her bothering you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal says yeah. something like that. <laughs> Everything about that scene was pretty funny. Like, even though he's supposed to be down in the dumps, I think, like Kyle said, is acting like, was he trying to be comedic the whole time? Oh, man. Dude, the second he's like, off, like, hey, let's go get a drink. Atari? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, and when I was researching this, I, from my understanding, Robert Downey Jr. did not have a good time making this movie. 
Um, I bet because it. I, he, I bet none of them had a good time, no matter what they said. Because Fincher t- makes you do it like a lot of takes, man. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think him and Fincher. I don't think him and Fincher saw eye to eye on how how things were done. Like this part on the boat isn't supposed to be a fucking comedy scene, like that kind of. Well, like okay, here for example, again, allegedly it says uh, Robert was so unaccustomed to the experience of David Fincher's multiple takes and the process of di- filming digitally. They rebelled against Fincher for, quote, having no time to get my shit together in my trailer by hiding Mason with his urine on set. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a quote, I think, from him. He says, uh, Robert Downey Jr. said, working with Fincher, I just decided, aside from several times I wanted to garrot him, that I was going to give Fincher what he wanted. I think I'm a perfect person to work for him because I understand gulags. Yeah, so I don't think Robert Dunge had a blast making no. this one, but no piss yeah. breaks, huh? Apparently not. Yeah. Let's let's do it again. Ready? Come on, one more time, Robert. But that's his. But I mean, Fincher, he, he comes from uh, like a music video background, right? Is isn't that where he made his? He cut his teeth was on music videos and stuff. So I mean, they probably did. How many takes? I mean, because it's such a short video, you got to get it perfect. So yeah. I'm sure they. I mean, he's used to just doing a thousand takes of everything. Yeah. That's true. But, That's shitty. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think that was dope, man. I think we covered the hell out of that shit. Mm-hmm. If uh, people have questions, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, shit, if somebody listen to this, if you guys want to try cracking this code and try to figure solve this murder, call, call San Francisco Police Department and let them know. If you SFPD. know who the Zodiac Killer is, please let them know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, one thing is they gave up on it. They closed it. Yeah, that's another thing I read. But what I really yeah. wanted to say is, I thought it was funny that motherfucker had to move on to a boat, and he was pissed about it. He's like, "I moved on to a boat." And it was mad. <laughs> that shit was dope. This man, man was living a nice on a boat. Little boat. <laughs> he just he paddle his ass away when shit goes bad. <laughs> Fuck out. Mm-hmm. That's where his ashes were spread, right where that boat was fucking parked. Yeah, they said that. Yeah, Paul Avery. Listen, man, a houseboat mm-hmm. in the Bay Area, that's still $5 million, all right? Yeah, so, come on, so... man. <laughs> Shit. Now, yeah. it's probably $20 million. Yeah, market that is waterfront property, man. You're still getting yeah. the cool $20 million. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit more of a lighthearted ending there to a pretty serious movie. So definitely a lot of information we learned from uh, covering this movie, Zodiac. And, uh, yeah, tune in as we got a couple more of these coming at you soon. Uh, for the month of August. So, uh, as always, I got to say thanks to the guys for coming on. And uh, make sure you check us out on social media. We're available at the No15 Allcast on Twitter and Instagram. And we're also available on Facebook. Uh, for everybody else on the show, as always, it's your boy 7C saying peace out and God bless. <laughs>